This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 7, Episode 15. I'm John DiCarlo, joined by Kyle Gauss, Dante Colinelli, Sam Cohn, not with us today he has informed us that he's ill but i'll tell you what he informed us he was dead yes so like i, I texted him like, you, you are in fact deceased and he wrote back yes yes which is skull emojis but but we're bearing the lead here because we've got a special guest with us back on the scoop sam newman what's going on buddy we missed you Back like I never left, right? Uh, miss exactly. you guys too. I'm happy to be back on the scoop this week. So Sam is going to be with us on the pod. Uh, can definitely, uh, you know, be talking everything with us. But uh, as you guys know, Temple plays Clemson this week down the Charleston Classic. Sam's going to be covering maybe one, couple of those games. We'll see what he can get for us there. So he'll be representing the Clemson Insider and Alscoop.com down there, wearing a couple of different hats. So. Uh, Buddy, before we dive into the pod, give us uh, what's life like down there. I mean, it's it's the polar opposite of Philadelphia. <laughs> it's like two <laughs> different countries. Um, it's it's nice. I mean, I, I'm I live about ten minutes outside of Clemson, and uh, there's a, a, I live in this town called Pendleton, um, South Carolina. Which is funny, after, but, named after former Brave Terry Pendleton. Yes, dead exactly. dead, dead Sam told me two days ago that you still lived in Charlotte. <laughs> like he really yeah. he was like, yeah he's like he lives like two and a half hours outside of Columbus. I was like really that's a hell of a commute no no I've, I've made that commute a couple times just because it's you know i went to college in philadelphia lived in charlotte so now i can actually go home via car uh, <laughs> do laundry and get you know food cooked for you when as scoop listeners know you have done the philadelphia to charlotte commute via car I have <laughs> with a I random have. stranger. Yes. Random stranger. Um, yeah, no, but I'm, I'm 10 minutes outside of Clemson. Um, you nice little town area. I got over here. They actually have decent food, believe it or not. You know, yeah. we get some good food. Um, like what? Uh, I have a really good bakery by me. I have a good solid pizza place by me. The owners yeah. are from Brooklyn. Oh, nice. Know, transplant. Um, some nice restaurants, nice Mexican restaurant. Uh-huh. I'm taking care of it down here. Um, and just on on the tiger, so Clemson has this thing called Tiger Boulevard, where literally, literally there's like a stretch of like any fast food restaurant you can ever imagine in your entire life, and the line for Chick Fil A backs up into onto like the boulevard. So <laughs> yeah, so I got to the basketball game the other night, and like in a row there was Chick Fil A, McDonald's, Taco Bell, and Cookout, and each of them had a line that was out into the uh, boulevard. So, what so- is Zen ramen and sushi burrito. What is a sushi burrito? I I couldn't tell you what that is. Huh. I mean, I think it's in the in the uh, name. Like so like, uh, doesn't. I'm probably making this up. I feel like either New York or Philly, somewhere like that. That's a thing. I don't think that's just a thing down in South Carolina. I feel like I've seen. I wasn't implying it was. I was just asking Sam what a sushi burrito is <laughs> as it's on I Tiger Boulevard. <laughs> it sounds intriguing, but I, I couldn't tell you what it is. But yeah, life. Life in Clemson is is I'm enjoying it. It's it's a lot different than Philadelphia, I can tell you that. But it's it's a it's a different change of pace for that's for sure. It was created in San Francisco in 2008 by the fast food restaurant Sushi Rito. 
Sucharito. The more you know, you learn something every new when you turn into this scoop. We never did famous 15s. Jeff, ha- Jeff Hostetler is the first one I think of. Led the Giants to a Super Bowl. Mahomes. Yeah. Minus Carlos Beltran. When I was Googling it, because I, I was prepping, because I totally knew it was number 15 before five minutes ago, two, out, two, two outfielders both played for the Angels in the late 90s. John. Angels late 90s. They obviously didn't wear the number at the same time, but they're both associated with 15. Ooh. Jim Edmonds, Tim Sanders. Oh, all right. Should have gotten that. Yeah. Definitely should have gotten that. Any other famous 15s? Uh, Vince Carter. Carmelo. I feel like Dante Carmelo. has like a Dolphins, random Dolphins player up his sleeve right now. No, see, yeah, that, that's a quarterback number, and uh, we, we haven't had they've, any, they've good, had one. any good quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> we already did the Dan Marino episode, so I got nothing to add there. Uh, you know, the guy that would drop 45 on uh, Joel Embiid if you ask Bob Ford. Not Bob Ford. Uh, Bob Ryan. Bob, Bob Ryan. Ryan. Tom oh. Gola. <laughs> Tom Gola. Isn't Clint Capella 15? Wasn't he 15? Maybe. Tom, speaking of Tom Gola, did you see that that piece of Dana, Dana O'Neill's article in The Athletic? Basically oh. saying that, like, that LaSalle... Oh, that they, they're, they're going to be able to stay D1. Yeah. 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 I, have, I have legitimate concerns about their ability to stay open as a university. So... <laughs> Look legitimately. Good luck. Good luck to you, so. It's for uh, it's for another podcast, another time. Buy game for Temple. It was depressing when they like got all ramped up to turn on the L. Like they put like little like neon L for LaSalle. It's like, oh god. It looked like Whatever. someone turning on like the the angel like little star on top of a crystal. <laughs> like that type of that type of warm energy. We become a ribbon family. We used to have the angel. Yeah. And now it's a ribbon. Yeah. Before we'll be out before- soon. Before we get into sports, Sam, do you guys are you gonna get to go home for Thanksgiving or not? Yeah, I'll, I'll be going home on um, Monday. Looks like yeah, I'll, I'll be there for a week. I don't have to cover the uh, annual Clemson South Carolina game. I'll, I'll be home in Charlotte instead. Um, I don't. I think Clemson plays Charleston Southern on that Friday of that week of Thanksgiving, but I'm just probably going to cover that for my house so any particular not, not, thanksgiving food you're looking forward to um definitely definitely mashed potatoes and uh that's that's always the best one in my opinion um you never can go wrong with with any of the sides i i, I yeah yeah I, I can't really pick like a favorite there because just all the sides are, are great but i'm partial to mashed potatoes i only eat mashed potatoes thanksgiving i don't eat it any other time of the year that's why I'm looking forward to it because yeah. I don't eat oh, it. Oh, I, I, at first I thought you said I only eat mashed potatoes just, on Thanksgiving. <laughs> like, no, you guys just put it directly on my plate. This is all I'm going to eat. <laughs> no, it's the only Pile time. Pie? Eat. No, just more, no. more starch, please. More starch. <laughs> is it a mashed potato pie? Because no, no, I'll consider <laughs> Like, do you see the Reese's pie that uh, sold out in like four hours? No. Reese's was making like, was selling a pie this year. It was a Reese, gigantic Reese's cup, I guess. And off the shelves, gone. Can't get it. Dante is taking part in the Temple News Friendsgiving tonight. Yeah, I'm about to have uh, 30 people over in my North Philadelphia apartment, so please pray for me tonight. Um, please, via, please, 21-year-olds cooking, please pray for your stomach. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna have to consume several adult beverages to get through the night. I, I these think deviled eggs running? Yeah, it's a family <laughs> recipe. <laughs> 
Dante, are you cooking anything? No, I, I am providing the apartment. So I have gotten out of cooking. That was the apartment, my, the apartment my that I don't have an oven. Well, everyone's pre-cooking. Everyone is cooking before they come. No, it gets cold and you need to warm it up. <laughs> yeah, how, what, how did your apartment not come with an oven? Dude, I don't know what to tell you. We don't, are you don't squatting somewhere? Are you okay? What do you think? I have the I have the biggest apartment on our senior staff. That's why I'm hosting it. Because and, of the know, lack of an oven, we don't have an oven. Right. Three, yeah. three so square feet. We have to cut some corners. I don't have an oven, so and he I took out the space. oven so he has more room for activity. He's got plenty of space yeah. there. My God, yeah. I have plenty of space. No oven. Did you, you know what, that? Did you hear what <laughs> him said? He was like, he took out the oven so he has room, more room for activities. <laughs> I didn't know that I was doing a podcast with a drifter. <laughs> here we go. I have, I have a, I have a, a large toaster oven, and that's what we use for everything. Like it how works. large? It works. It's pretty big. I, I don't. I don't know. Like how to describe. Like I don't know. Like a. It's like a like a big Mac. Like I don't know. Like you know, like the Mac screens, like the big desktop ones. Like it's it's big. Like I made pork chops in it last like, night. Like do, do you have like a like a like a griddle or like a like a wok or something? Like do you have like a stove? Is what I'm asking. Yeah, I have a stove. Yeah. yeah have a stove. Oh yeah. Okay, that's fine. Oh, I've lived I lived yeah. in college houses with just a stove. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, okay. I have a stove. Right. I have a big toaster oven. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I legitimately thought you had no way of heating food outside of a. That's what I thought too. <laughs> okay. No, no. Wait, what? That That's why I thought you were a drifter. I, I thought you were a homeless person pretending <laughs> no. to be a template. <laughs> you thought they'll 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 cook their turkey like that episode of New Girl where they put it in the uh, put it in the dryer. I've never seen an episode of New Girl. It's it's fantastic. Now I I saw it like I only started watching it more like over the past year and was caught up on it. I think I put it in our Al Scoop group chat and, and Sam Newman just said love New Girl. I do not like chat. Zoe Deschanel. I don't like her. Really? Really? No, she's she's quirky. Good. The yeah. show is good in spite of her. That that's my opinion. The supporting oh, okay, character. that makes sense. You want to be honest? In my mind, I think I thought that Mindy Kaling was in that show. Like for some reason, I thought she. Like, I know it's Zoe Deschanel, but for some reason, in my mind, it was Mindy Kaling. No. I was like, oh, okay. Jake Johnson. Uh, I know. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. I have a lot of shows I gotta watch. Instead, yeah. I'm just rewatching the same three shows over and over again. At least, uh, at least one Angry Temple fan will give us feedback on this podcast and say, I don't appreciate you guys BSing at the beginning of it. Just get right to the point. Okay, so SIB, we'll if you think that. <laughs> <laughs> Very unprofessional, guys. Yes, yes. So, well. Carolina, the South will rise again. Sam brings out the worst in us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what, what, what can we tell you? What can we tell you about this This temple football team we'll get the the bad stuff out of the way first before we get to temple hoops and uh recapping their loss to usc and previewing uh previewing clemson but um yeah how about those owls uh another loss i i dare we say they were more competitive uh against houston um you know maybe a few a few bright spots to take out one side one side of the ball was more competitive yes but ultimately, you know, 30, 37 to eight loss. Uh, Temple's three and seven now, one and five in conference play. They are not going to be bowl eligible. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they got two games left. They play Tulsa this week and then finish up at home against Navy. You know, could be on their way to a three and nine season. But again, these last two games, you know, if it's a different season, we're saying these are winnable games. Neither one of these teams uh, are, you know, uh, you know, among the best in the country. But again, did Temple tighten some things up last week? Yes. Did you see some bright spots? Yes. But again, ultimately, 
you know, and I think I said on the pod last week, I was like, oh, I think Houston could hang 60 on them, but I think that they did play harder than I expected. And um, again, Darian Varner flashed a little bit. MJ Griffin was back and playing well. Um, Justin Lynch ran the ball well, but ultimately nowhere near good enough to, to win. Uh, again, I know it's, it sounds bland. It sounds like wash, rinse and repeat every week, uh, but we got to talk about it. Uh, general impressions of that 37-8 loss, guys. More of the same. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if coming in, you would say it was going to be a 29-point loss. Like, oh, okay. That's, that's, they showed up a little bit. Um, same thing as always where the one touchdown was just when the game was already well at hand. I think I tweeted – it was 10 nothing at halftime. I tweeted at halftime that that felt insurmountable. Mm-hmm. Like 10 points legitimately just felt like, well, the game's over. Like they're not going to score 10 points. Like you've been in single digits four of the last five games. The one game you weren't was, was a 14-point game. This offense is completely broken. Um, this program might be completely broken, but I thought the, I thought the defense showed, showed up. I mean, Darian Varner as a freshman getting um, two sacks in, the, in one half. Well, Quinku to his defense is still playing as if yeah. he's trying to put good film out there, which I mean, he is like, he's having the best year of his career. Uh, MJ Griffin comes back from um, maybe a little bit of an up and down performance since UCF to have three techs for a loss. So I think, I think if you're an optimist and you're a Temple fan and you just want to say like, okay, the next two weeks are going to suck, but what, what's the future hold? I think there's still talent on this team. Like individually, I think there is, I think it needs to be supplemented with incoming people and maybe coaching up almost certainly coaching staff changes. But like, I think you have talent at each level that you can say, well, that's, that guy's going to have a bright future. Like MJ Griffin's going to have a bright future at Temple. Um, Darian Varner looks like he might have a bright future at Temple. So we're at the point where it's when you're covering a loser program, you're just looking for individual people to pop. And I'd say those three people popped. Dante, anything that, uh, I don't want to say surprised you, but was Temple more competitive in this game than you thought they would be? I mean, defensively, absolutely. I think another important thing to note is that Clayton Toon overthrew about three wide open touchdowns in that first half. I mean, And what what are we blaming that on, Dante? I Dante me, mushed him. Me, I, that's on me. That's my fault. I did jinx Clayton too, and I said he was having the best uh, season of his career on last week's episode of the Scoop. And you know he went out there and overthrew about three wide open touchdowns in the first eight minutes of the game. Uh, maybe maybe look pretty bad, but defensively, I mean, I agree with Kyle. I think you see some young players flashing. I think Jordan McGee's been pretty good this year, and he's. Uh, been out there. Same with you, Vandy Rigby. I know his playing time has kind of fluctuated quite a bit, but I felt like when he was on the field, he was playing well. Uh, offensively, I, I think that there are some big long-term concerns at all in offense. I don't know how many pieces you have past this year. Uh, I think Jose Barbone's a decent receiver. I don't know if you like anybody in that running back room going forward. I, Malik Cooper's got some juice, but you know, does is he able to tote you know volume? I know he's a young player. On the offensive line, I mean, I don't really see anything that is overly encouraging from any of those guys. At the quarterback position, Dwan was okay. His best game is against, you know, one of the worst FCS schools that you can possibly schedule in Wagner. Uh, even when he's been healthy, he's been uneven. And then, you know, I, I don't know if Justin Lynch has the arm to be in starting quarterback. Uh, and I know that that's like a bad thing to say about an 18-year-old, and he can certainly run the ball, but – I mean, he was throwing some passes that were just floating and, and they were not far. Like the 23 yarder that he threw to Jordan Smith was a duck. I, it really was. was I, any I of feel, that was any of that knocked down by 
the win on Saturday or these were just straight up floaters regardless of what the weather I was. think early in the game, yeah. But that Jordan Smith pass was in like after it rained because after it rained, everything like tempered down. The wind wasn't as bad. And obviously it was not raining because it stopped. Dante's um, meteorology report. Yeah, there you go. Um, so like that pass, that was why I picked that one out because the first couple that he threw that were ducks, I was like, all right, like it's windy. Like, you know, we've seen some bad field goals and some bad throws even from Houston's quarterback. Um, but that 23 yarder to Jordan Smith was a duck. Like if that safety was even took a remotely competent angle to the football, that was a pick six. Um, and I, that's what worries me about Lynch. So like looking at the offense broadly, like I, I don't know where your building blocks are there. Like the best player that I think you can look at right now, who is definitely coming back because Randall Jones, a graduate student, he's not coming back. Um, is Jose Barbone. If he's the best player on your offense, not great. So I, I don't know. I, I don't have like a lot of positivity, even though they played a little bit better. I think defensively you have some young playmakers uh, that you can build around, but on the offensive side of the ball, I feel like that's going to need a, a complete overall, no matter who the head coach is. Like, I, I think that that's going to need a lot of changes and a lot of development from some young guys. Cause right now it just doesn't look like they have any playmakers, frankly. Well, I can't disagree with any of that. Um, now they have this Tulsa team on the horizon. Again, not a team that is anything super special, but again, Temple just has not been, you know, if we're, if we're kind of lowering the bar to say that they were competitive last week, you know, that, you know, that's where it is. Um, but they really haven't, again, they, they otherwise have not been competitive. Um, Dante, when you look at Tulsa and again, I know it just feels like we're kind of just going through the motions until the, uh, until the, the end of the season, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say like, is this a winnable game for Temple? Cause I don't want to make Tulsa out to be uh, this incredible team. And they're not, they've got some pieces, but they're just uh, not one of the better teams in the conference. But I think more at this point, it's just about has Rod Carey lost the team are, you know, they're responding in certain stretches, not in others. We've talked about this a million times before. Once there's a sign of any sort of adversity, they can't really, can't really recover. Dante, when you look at Tulsa again, nothing earth shattering about them, but is there anything that leads you to believe that Temple playing for some pride might be able to, to beat these guys this week when you look at them? I, I think, I think I wrote this in the preview. Um, like this is Temple's most winnable game since they mm. played South Florida a game that they lost by 20 points, by the way. Um, so I, I think that like, is there a chance? I mean, sure. Why not? But you know, I went into this and I was like, all right, you know, there's going to, to be an area that like temple is better than Tulsa and there is just not like not a single one Tulsa special teams are better uh they're better in every phase of defense except for pass defense but Tulsa's pass defense is competent enough that I think it like makes up for the fact that temple has one of the worst rushing defenses in the entire country um temple's offense is abysmally bad they rank 122nd in the FBS out of 130 teams in total offense uh that's up there with programs like Vanderbilt. UConn, UMass, like those are the programs like in that. And I, Vanderbilt's an SEC school, but they're awful. They've scored like more than 17 points. Like, And, they, and you just named two other schools that fired their coaches midseason. <laughs> also a good thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where Temple's offense is at. So like I went into this and, and John, I kind of had the same thing. It was like, all right, you know, Tulsa's not that good. 
maybe this is like a very winnable football game and it just doesn't even look that way on paper. I think if you are Temple, the best advantage that you have in this game is that uh, Tulsa's quarterback, Bryn Davis, has thrown 14 interceptions this year. He's very loose with the football. And you do have good corners in Cameron Ruiz and Keyshawn Paul, and you have some playmakers at safety and MJ Griffin and Amir Tyler. The problem is that Tulsa is really just inclined to hand the ball off 35 times to their very good running back, Shamari Brooks, and just run right down Temple's throat. That would be my game plan. I don't think there's any reason to get away from that if you are Tulsa. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I really went into this. I was like, I'm going to, I know you're not really supposed to do this, but I was like, I'm going to find a bright spot in this preview. And there, there just is not one. Like it, Tulsa is still a much better team than Temple is on paper. Is this a winnable game? Technically, yes. Do I think they're going to win? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think to be honest, yeah, I don't think they're a good team whatsoever, but I also think this is the same team that, only lost to Cincinnati by eight and they hung 20 points. If you want to say hung 20 points, they hung 20 points at Ohio state. And, but they also lost to UC Davis and they lost to a bad Navy team and blah, blah, blah. But like, there's a reason Temple's a 22 point dog or whatever it is in this game. Um, there's a reason that like, if you close your eyes and do you visualize a completely going through the motions, Temple team going down to Oklahoma and beating a team in Tulsa. No, like, um, I know they, they have a good wide receiver. Uh, Carolina Sam's going to get a little bit of uh, PTSD from hearing the name Josh Johnson, but they have a good wide receiver named Josh Johnson uh, who's flirting with probably going to get to like a 800, 900 yard level uh, situation. And they're still, honestly, they still have something to play for, which when you get to this point in college football is a lot. Like it's, it's a big part of college football in November. And like, the, honestly, I think Temple is more, more likely to beat Navy than they are Tulsa just because Navy has nothing else going, going for them at this point, other than, you know, the pride of the nation on their back. But Tulsa is still <laughs> competing for bowl eligibility. If they beat Temple, like they probably should, they're going to be five and six. They're probably not beating SMU to get to six and six, but you never know. Um, it, this might be the last time we see Phil Montgomery on Tulsa's, like the face Temple as a Tulsa's head coach. So it'll be interesting. But no, I think this is going to be another blowout. It being a four o'clock game, I don't know if I like that or hate that. Um, just like personally, like, I don't know if I'd rather this just be done at like three 30 and move on from there, but, uh, it doesn't I'm necessarily done, like, I don't know, maybe like they play at midnight tonight and it's done at 3 AM. Well, basketball doesn't play Saturday, right? Regardless, they play Thursday, Friday off Saturday. And then again on Sunday, regardless, I believe is the case with the Charleston classic. Believe, I think believe Sam, so, yes. uh, Sam gives gave us a thumbs up. So I'm going to say like, that is, I guess, whatever suboptimal for it to be a 4 PM game, but. Those were the cards that ESPN dealt you. Carolina, Sam, anything? Do you miss anything at all about covering Temple football? I mean, I, I miss, obviously, the camaraderie with you guys. I, hey. I, mean, I feel like it's still there, but it's like, you know, I'm on the outside looking in. Um, I, and it looks like I picked the right season to leave, right? The, yeah. The, the uh, right time, the wrong time to stop sniffing glue. Um, <laughs> Dante, what is that? What, what movie is that from? That reference. No idea, man. Not a not a inkling. You're gonna have to tell him. Is that one or two? Airplane one. Okay. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. <laughs> What's yeah, that from? Airplane. Oh crap! All right. Yeah. yeah, the the program. I mean, you guys have. I think you guys have put it eloquently. Uh, eloquently. Um, I can't speak, but you know, there, there's not much to say. The program's a disaster. I think 
coming back into it, uh, the way that we were looking into it, at least before, you know, I graduated is that this, we were giving the staff a chance to bring in their own players, right? Because a lot of the guys who left were not their players and be like, okay, let's, let's implement this system that we have here. Maybe they can string together, win some three conference games, put together a five to six win, win season. I think that's the way that we were looking at it. And we were willing to give, you know, I was at least willing to give Rod Carey a short a leash because I think it, it was hard to evaluate a season based on COVID when this team was affected disproportionately rather than any other team in the country. Granted, they didn't even – I mean, they had an athletic director, but, you know, he, we can we can all say what we want about that. But, um, you know, <laughs> but in, in reality, it's just it, – it hasn't worked. It's been a disaster, and, and it's just been, you know, pretty much – I mean, I, I think – when, once things started, you know, winning cures all right. So once things started to get bad, it, it just seems like they've all snowballed and gotten worse yeah. with this team and can't really dig themselves out of it. And I feel like the only way to, you know, to dig themselves out of it is at this point, they, they probably have to make a, uh, some, some level of coaching change, but um, that remains to be seen. It's, it's just weird. Like looking at it as, a, as from like an outsider's perspective, because I'm like, yeah, I probably, there's certain things you, know, you should probably not say and, and certain things and not get in the mud or whatnot. But at the same time, it's like, you know, that this team is a lot more talented than, than they've shown. Like, I think coming into the season, this was one of the more talented rosters they've had in a long time, but it just, they, the staff hasn't shown that they can develop talent that they brought in. And uh, and it's just a waste and it's just it's it's annoying because you look at you know they bring in transfers like Keyshawn Paul and and Cameron Ruiz and those guys are playing their asses off and then you have some guy younger guys that they brought in that you know, haven't developed they've got brought other ones in the transfer portal that haven't developed and there's been players that have been here for a long time that haven't you know developed into anything more so it's just you know you gave them three years this is what they are and if your program is if your program is looking anything like one set of already fired your head, their head coaches, you're probably trending in that direction. Speaking of uh, a guy that they were hoping to get good things from and the portal did not and never started the season with him as Iris and Clement. Um, I know there's a mailbag question about it, uh, but you know, he took to Twitter today and social media and was not very complimentary of Rod Carey and the strength staff. Um, I mean, we can get it into it in the mailbag uh, later on. I've, I've been told through Temple spokesperson that Rod Carey is not going to comment on it, not going to address it. Um, perception wise, yeah, it doesn't look great for the program. Uh, don't really have, you know, the, the coach's side of things. So it's hard to comment it, comment on it beyond that. But again, just the perception of it doesn't look great uh, at this juncture of the season. But we'll talk a little bit more about that in the mailbag. Uh, we could go through predictions here and just toss some random numbers around. <laughs> None of it will be super engaging. Uh, is this a blowout? Is this a ugly game where they, they lose by 10 points or a couple touchdowns? I mean, I thought they were going to get just absolutely slaughtered last week. And again, not that the final score was close, but they were more competitive than I thought they were going to be. What are we thinking for predictions here? Yeah, I mean, in the end, they still gave up 27 points in the second half. So like, right. It was still a blowout, especially also a blowout. I'm pretty sure Dana Holgerson, despite what Rod Carey said after the game, I'm pretty sure Dana Holgerson was 100% trying to run up the score. Is oh, what yeah. It well, they're, they're a ranked team, and they want to they want their wins to not only count but look good. So, sure. I don't think that matters. They're not in the running for a college some, football I mean, some coaches, some co like, No, but some coaches, like, you know, they, they like to beat teams convincingly, and they, they, they care about – Sure, you're not, you're not going to back me into a corner to defend Dana Holgerson. Let me, let me get that out of the way. Yeah. But like, so, yeah, I, I agree. Um, but 
Look, I mean, Tulsa is not the type of team to drop 70 on you. If they are, then dear God, because I mean, this is a team that they've, they haven't surpassed 20 points in a month either. I think this is just going to be a boring grinded out game, but I still think Tulsa probably gets like 28 points Mm -hmm. just based upon Temple's inability to move the ball on offense. Uh, I don't think, I don't think there's, I mean, we haven't heard, but I don't think Dewan Mathis plays in this game. I don't think he plays again this season. I think this is all Justin Lynch at this point. So I'll say that it's 28 to seven. And it's just like a ho-hum, the sun rises the next day and you're one day closer to the end of the season. Guys, we're just going to throw together some random numbers here. Oh, um, 21 to three. I feel like Tulsa is just going to come out, run the ball like 40 times. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be like a grind. Temple's going to go three and out on like the first possession of the first half and like not get the ball back until like late in the first quarter. Like that's like that's the type of game that it feels like for me. So I'm going to go with a low, a low scoring blowout of, of 21 to three. Sam, I'm going to throw out a number. Uh, I predicted that Clemson, not to brag, would score 44 points against UConn. I got I predicted 44 to nine. It was 44 to seven. So, you know, okay. I'll, I'll throw my hat in the ring here. Um Say Tulsa 27, Temple 6. Here we go. I think this is going to be like – I think Temple is going to be able to hang its hat on the fact that it, for the second week in a row, uh, scores a touchdown and has a two-point conversion. I think this is a 24-8 game and that they can uh, say something about that. Certainly disappointed with the outcome. Would have liked to have scored more than eight points. Got to coach them up better. You know. I, I have a quick question about, about the quarterback room. So Sure. So Justin Lynch, right? I, I think Dante mentioned about him not having the arm. Could that also have to do with him coming in the summer and not having a proper like strength training like w- regimen before the season starts? If you want to be an optimist and also say that he played in the spring, so he didn't have the ability to kind of hit the weight room there, sure. But these, I mean, Dante knows better than I am. I just don't think that's a quarterback. Step quarterback, yes, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think. Um, you rarely see marketed improvement in arm strength over time. Um, typically that is just like, you either have it or you don't, you can improve it a little bit. Like you might be able to get Justin Lynch to like average. Um, but I don't think that there's any version of this where he is like hits the weight room and all of a sudden, you know, he's John Elway, you know, like, I just don't think that that is, is going to happen. Choice. And I guess a follow up on that is, I mean, I'm sure Temple fans are interested in this, but why, why did they kind of just, go over Valente and, and he hasn't, is, is there any reason why he hasn't played or is it just, they like Lynch better? Is, is that just it at the end of the day? Kyle? Yeah, I think it's that. I mean, I think it's, it's the old adage of the most popular person is the backup quarterback. Right. I mean, I think Justin Lynch had a good summer camp and he came in and he ran the offense the way they wanted to run it. Um, the difference is that, I mean, even my Mario, Mario Valente was a walk on until five months ago. So it's not like he came in with this huge pedigree. He was a guy that had a little grit to him that had worked his way onto a scholarship spot. Am I surprised we didn't see him at all outside after that Rutgers game? Yeah. Um, Matt Duncan, I knew they were always going to redshirt, but you're at this point in the season where you could play him and still redshirt him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just that Justin Lynch it runs the offense the way they quote unquote want to run it. I do think that they, they're not doing them any, they're not helping them at all. Like against against uh, Houston, they ran. They finally decided let's run some trick plays, and we'll do this. And he doesn't have the ability to throw downfield, and you're asking him to throw downfield. Like it just kind of is what it is at this point. I think I think the kid's probably a little rattled too. I mean, Rod Carey said after the game, like he's nervous in the beginning of games, and we're trying to figure out a way to get him calmed down and blah blah. And that's probably not a great sign for his success this season. Um, 
I obviously am not a soothsayer. I don't know what his season is, what his future is, but I think this is kind of just what you get this season. I, I wouldn't expect them to all of a sudden make a change because I don't think there's nothing left to play for. Why would you all of a sudden just throw in different quarterbacks? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, it's not like the NFL where you can have a rookie out. Like, I mean, the Jets are going with Joe Flacco this week. It's not like who is not vaccinated. vaccinated. <laughs> He's not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh. Right. That's great. Um, yeah. But uh, it just, I don't know. At some point it just feels like you're just throwing him out there to the wolves and, and hope that like he does something, but I feel like Valente at least like was here last year and knew the offense. I mean, it's not like Justin Lynch didn't run like the offense is at his high school, but I just feel like it's, it's just, they're kind of just throwing him out there naked and see like, yep, yeah, go swim. Well, I think they were, again, I now did Rod Carey say it this way? No, if I'm taking a stab at this and I'm, I wouldn't be breaking any news. I think that they thought, okay, he's our next best option. And whatever he does for us is, is gravy. And we, as coaches can say, Hey, look, he, he showed this, he showed that this could be a glimpse of the future. Stick with us. We have a promising young quarterback. And again, maybe he could be, you know, maybe he could end up being, whether it's a temple or somewhere else, a, a pretty solid uh, to pretty good college quarterback with an average arm, but he's crafty enough and can make throws and uh, eventually maybe settles into an offense that, that works for him. And, you know, once they started playing him past four games, they thought, all right, well, they're going to lock him with them here. And even, you know, as Rod Carey said a couple weeks ago, try to get him some snaps, even if Dewan Mathis was healthy. But again, it's all such a mess at this point. You know, if he does stay at Temple and um, there is a new coach and that new new staff, you know, likes them enough and keeps them around, you know, that new staff could say, Hey, red shirt next year, take a, take a breather, learn this offense, you know, because again, everything is a toss up at this point, who knows what this roster looks like next year. Uh, if, if Rod Carey does come back the Rod roster, who knows what it'll look like, who knows what it'll look like if there's a new coach, but um, I think they stuck with them just to, just to hopefully see some signs of, a promise. And again, I, I, you know, like Dante has said, he's 18, you know, he does do some things well, sometimes he'll do something. I think there have been times, I think there were a couple of times Saturday where he'd make a throw and be like, that looked like a nice throw. And at the end, it just didn't have, you like, you don't need John Elway's zip. You need some decent strength on it. There might've been a couple of balls that got knocked down by the wind, but yeah. Anyway, Let's move along to this Temple basketball team. We'll talk about what happened Saturday against USC, and then we will tap into the mind of Sam Newman here so we can talk about what the Owls are going to be facing in the Charleston Classic with their first opponent um, against Clemson. Uh, so Temple's 1-1 one one now. Obviously, they, they beat Maryland Eastern Shore in the opener, uh, and then they lost 76-71 Saturday night to USC, a game that they trailed by as many as 23, got to within three late, uh, came running back, obviously uh, – you know, too little, too late. Uh, biggest story of the game, 15 of 28 from the free throw line. Uh, they did grab 16 offensive boards. Uh, they actually out-rebounded USC, a bigger USC team with a lot of size. Um, again, we're two games into it. Don't want to get too much into moral victories, but, you know, I was impressed with a fair amount of, of what I saw, uh, not the free throws. Um, but I don't know. I think it's, it's fair to say that they have a much better roster this year and they do, uh, than they did last year, whatever last season, whatever you want to make of it at five and 11. But, um, Kyle, I'll start with you. You know, what, what did you, what did you see from the team? 
uh, again, like the, the, the rebounding was there. Obviously the free throw shooting wasn't, but there are a few different storylines there, whether you're talking about Ty Strickland, uh, Caleb battle, hitting some really big shots when they mattered. Um, I don't know. What'd you take from Saturday? Yeah. I mean, I think you, you saw a lot of resiliency, obviously. I mean, the game was seemed like it was completely over at halftime. Uh, they, they played really gritty, but kind of stayed uh, toe and toe with USC for the first 10 minutes. The second 10 minutes of the first half was just a complete curb stomping. Um, but after that, I mean, I think you saw some battle. And I think, I think afterwards the demeanor, we talked about this a little bit, but I think the demeanor in post-game press conferences was a lot different um, than like what you would normally expect after a loss. Like, I think, I think they were pissed off. They lost that game because they knew they could have won that game. I think they were pretty honest with themselves. Like Caleb Bell said, like, Hey, a lot of people were probably intimidated by the name across their chest on that roster, on that uh, USC team. And they got to realize that like, we can go toe to toe with anybody. And I think they have the weapons to go toe to toe with most of the people on their schedule. Um, I, for you all of a sudden to like, that's a top 25 team. That went, that's a team that went to the elite eight last year and is now a top 25 team after beating temple. If you have the ability to kind of bounce back and shoot your way back into that game, which is what they did. Like Caleb battle, made some contested shots. Uh, Zach Hicks makes shots in the second half. Nick Jordan showed why you should be excited about Nick Jordan. He, he was disruptive on defense and showed the ability to kind of just make his presence known, even when his shot wasn't falling. Um, I think you're not concerned, but like a little like hesitant about the, the slow start of Damian Dunn and uh, Jeremiah Williams, who's now looking up and his stats for Charleston classics up in the air. But I think Caleb Battle is taking the step you need him to take and you wanted him to take. And I think he has the chance to be the best scorer they've had since Shiz Alston, if not further back than that. So this next stretch is important because after Charleston Classic, like you have so many like gimme games that you need to just, you can't afford to lose one of those if you want to all of a sudden make the tournament. Um, obviously, it starts with Thursday against Clemson. I don't, I'm not saying they need to beat Clemson, but like it would help. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I, I was. Pretty, pretty encouraged. About as encouraged as you can be for a one and one start. Sam, you saw the second half of this game, and then you're obviously now covering Clemson. Uh, again, it's super early. Non-conference college basketball in November isn't always the, the, the best indicator of what we're going to see in conference, you know, play in February and March, but it's there. We have, you know, a, a little bit of body work with both programs. What did you take from that second half of watching Temple? And then give us a little bit on this uh, this Clemson team that they're going to face this week. Well, I think from the second half, obviously I didn't watch the first half, so I didn't see how they struggled. But, you, I mean, you could see a, a team that had some resilience and resolve to it. I mean, I think Caleb Battle has always been a confident player, but you can see, like, that there's actually, like, stuff to back up that confidence with it. And it just seems more comfortable um, and, you know, it was going to, it was going to take some time, but, but the, the shots he taking are, are, you know, starting to hit. And I mean, he would, I think last year was a much more streakier shooter. And I mean, it's, it's a, it's a sample size, small sample size, but he, he looked comfortable. And then you have, um, I was impressed by what I saw out of Zach Hicks and, and Sage Tolbert. I mean, you know, that size definitely helps there. I mean, there are two guys, I mean, Hicks knocking down a big three. Granted, it might have been too little too late, but I mean, the, the poise of a young, of a true freshman to hit a huge three like that is incredible. Um, you know, I think that they still play a little bit sloppy. I th I think you have a, I mean, who knows how long Jeremiah's foot has been bought, like how, how long that's been a problem. Cause he, I mean, he looked off in that, in that second half when he, when he shot that open three and it, it was just, oof. I mean, his defense is not ever like taking a step back, which is good. Um, I can't say I saw much from Damian Dunn, which was disappointing, but again, it's just still early in the season. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they looked more like the team that Aaron McKee has started and want them to look like than last year. I mean, last season it was like we saw glimpses of it, but it was so incomplete that it never like came together. And for that second half, you saw like the that pieces of the puzzle were starting to come together. Granted, it was against a USC team. Maybe if they were facing a lesser opponent, they would have been able to, you know, roar all the way back. But you know, uh, obviously, when you miss 13 foul shots, you're not going to win in any games doing that. And um, some of the turnovers down the stretch were brutal too. So, you know, I was impressed with what I saw. Um, and, and I actually think that they match up pretty well against Clemson. Um, again, small sample size, but Clemson was down at halftime to Presbyterian. Um, they let a Wofford team come back. And, and Wofford is always a, a good opponent. I mean, they always have a tournament team and they're very well-run program. But when you you know, when your best players off the court and, and your reserves can't, you know, make a shot, that, that that's an issue. Um, the, the thing with Clemson is, is – they are coming back this season and they lost probably one of the, their best player, one of the best players they've had in the, in the history of the program and in Amir Sims, um, you know, he, he was a natural scorer and, and they had an issue last season that they have this season um, where he, you know, their main guy now is PJ Hall is six foot 10. And, he, you know, I, I don't think I've seen a player who, who can shoot the way that he does from, from outside at, at six foot 10. Um, you know, he, he, the offense runs through him pretty much. So when he's not on the court, like things start to unravel. So I think, Temple might kind of have to use like a side. It, this feels funny saying it over the past couple of seasons, but if they use that that tight advantage, now that you have Emmanuel Pomo, you have you know Forrester, you have Sage Tolbert, and even Zach Hicks getting Jaleel White on the on the court will be important just because you know obviously he's still very raw offensively, right? But I mean he's a great defensive player, so um, and I feel like we'll we'll see him if if Jeremiah doesn't play, right? So I'm just going back with Clemson, you know. They're a very wishy-washy team. Like, you know, they can go in – I mean, they put up 93 against Bryant and looked and, – and, and granted, it's Bryant, but they were in control that entire game, and, and they shot the lights out of the ball. But in the game before that, they were like a Temple team, and Temple fans will, will reminisce on that. There's, they'll go long periods with, when they can't score the ball. Um, when, when they can't score uh, – not score the ball. You know, guys know what I meant. But, um, you know, they, they have – a couple guards that, that are really good shooters and, and Alamir Dawes who shoot the lights out of the ball. Um, David Collins, you know, Temple fans are familiar with him because he is a grad transfer from USF. And I feel like Temple's always had a, a little bit of an issue with him. Um, he had, you know, their Clemson's head coach, Brad Brunell, who's wanted him to be more of a facilitator guy who, who scores and can get physical and get kind of like a Damian Dunn essentially. But I mean, he had, he just had 10 points and odd rebounds against Bryant. So he does a little bit of everything. Um, Hunter Tyson is a guy who, you know, he, he's, he's pretty, he's pretty much like what PJ Hall is. Um, he's another physical guy, but Nick honor, um, just Nick honor is probably who's I'm just going over their starting line. These are probably guys that you'll see. Nick honor is probably one of the best uh, defensive point guards I've ever seen play college basketball. And I mean, he, he's, probably like 5'11", but he, he can guard you from 94, 94 feet. And say he had 16.7, so he can score the ball. Like, he can shoot the, shoot the ball. I mean, he's, he's a great defensive player. Granted, maybe that side, if you have Jaleel White at, at point guard, that might help. But um, I, I think, you know, Clemson is a team that Temple can match up well against just because if they use that size. Um, Clemson certainly has guys that can rebound the ball, but like I said, if, if, if Temple is able to get somebody like PJ Hall in the foul trouble, like they can very, they can very easily blow open a game like that. Um, 
And I don't think there's, a, I don't think this is a team where you look, look at the name on the jersey and be like, we can't beat them. I think this is a very winnable game for Temple just because of that. Granted, I think Clemson's a talented team. And, you know, if they can exploit kind of the issues that, that prolonged um, Temple against USC, then, you know, they'll obviously win. But uh, I think it's a game that, that Temple can definitely win just because, like I mentioned, size. So I, I feel like you'll hopefully, I mean, you'll, you'll probably see a bigger lineup, but that remains to be seen. So, I, I mean, I, if Jeremiah Williams doesn't play, I guess that we'd imagine they start Ty Strickland. That kind of mm-hmm. goes against the grain of – being what a tall lineup, but I guess you'll, you'll Julian White might be one of those first guys off the bench in that case, then. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. And then again, like we talked about earlier, Nick Jordan played really well. I think they credited him with two blocks. I think he really should have had three. Yes, one, that's, think, that's somebody I forgot to mention. He was yeah. he was excellent. I, I was shocked at the way that he played. Actually, actually. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting game, Sam. Uh, with things. Uh, the college basketball world bringing Sam back to us. He's going to be uh, down there at uh, Charleston Classic covering that game for us. So you can look forward to reading his coverage. We'll uh, go to the mailbag here. Um, Real quick, do we know is it the winner of this game plays the winner of the St. Bonnie's Boise State? Boise game? State game. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 So um, St. Bonnie's is ranked, I think, right? Or is it? Uh, Kyle's checking on it. Uh, should know off the top of my head. That was. Um, like they are. They uh, are number twenty-two. Temple's future conference mates in the Atlantic Ten. If you ask Sean Rothstein, right? Uh, well, let's not get into that. But we should go to the scoop mailbag. Fans are upset, justifiably so. So we got some mailbag questions to get to. Uh, the first one from TPS Al from the message board, the football message board. The question is, simple question, why has Carrie not been fired yet? Of course, that is the question of the hour. Fans are upset. Uh, they want to change. I get it. Uh, I cannot say that this is, you know, sourced by any means, but we're getting the impression that this, if this happens, it will happen after the, you know, after the season is, is done. Uh I don't know if any of you feel differently about this, but my, as to why, you know, TPSL to answer your question, why has Carrie not been fired yet? I, I, I just get the sense that Arthur Johnson is a very thorough guy. I, he, I would have to imagine he's aware uh, of how upset the fan base is. I would have to imagine that he's been looking at this fairly diligently. Uh, I, don't know what kind of authority they have to pull the trigger on a change right away. But um, my guess is that he is, you know, that he and Jason Wingard are, I don't know, I guess just being thorough. I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, begrudge fans for, you know, wanting a change right away and, and saying, Hey, you guys have to make a change, get a new coach in, get an interim head coach in there, start your search. It will give you a head start on whatever this recruiting class is going to be, whatever the new coach coming in, any potential new coach coming in would want to do to manage the roster. But my guess is that I just, Arthur Johnson seems to be a guy who is very thorough and very deliberate. I'm not saying deliberate to the point where I get the sense that he's going to give Rod Carey another year. Again, we don't know anything definitive, but, um, just the more I hear about the situation, I guess the more I'm not surprised that they haven't made a switch yet. But I'll, uh, you know, I'll flip this over to you guys to hear what you have to say about this. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, like, I think I was talking to somebody today and I said, from what I've heard, Arthur Johnson's been the type of person to play things close to the vest. And the person I was talking to today who was definitely impacted by this um, told me, he's like, that's not always the best scenario for things like this. Like sometimes like you need to be kind of more visible just because look, I mean, there's 130 people, including 85 scholarship players and God knows how many staff members and ancillary role people on this, they are going to be directly impacted by the next two to three weeks. So I think the, I think I agree where this is going to not happen until after the season. I don't think it should take that long. Like legitimately, like if you gave me the power to do things, I think a change, if it's going to happen, should be happening now instead of or after the Tulsa game, as opposed to it happening um, after the season. I mean, the Houston game was the least attended Temple game other than COVID, the COVID years since the Mac years, like since 2011. So you had, obviously, I mean, college football attendance is always kind of like a joke, like, haha, but like you, they self-reported like Aaron Rodgers. I'm sorry, like Ben Roethlisberger, they self-reported 18,000 attendance. Like that's that means that 9,500 people were there. Like that's an incredibly low number that is only heard in this program. You, if anybody's on the fence, if you're a player, you're probably at least considering keeping your options open. If you're the next coach of Temple, you want as much time as you can get in order to kind of ramp up your recruiting efforts, even if this is going to be a small class. The longer this goes, if it's just to save a couple shekels, that's hurting the program more and more. But yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think that this is going to, unless something completely blows up, like unless this Iris and Clement thing leads to an investigation that leads to, that kind of forces the hands of Arthur Johnson and Mason Wingard. I think that, I think we're still two weeks away from covering the coaching search. Uh, next question here. Speaking of the Iris and Clement thing, uh, the screen name is Diamond and Broad from our football board. The question, uh, Iverson Clement, dot, dot, dot. That's it. That's the question and statement. So again, you know, if you have social media and you can check, you know, Iverson Clement, put some stuff out there um, on Twitter, on, I think, I guess, Instagram, right? Uh, just shared, you know, his displeasure with how he felt things were handled. And again, if, if you're familiar with the program, you know that Iverson Clement was a four-star recruit out of Rancocas Valley High School in South Jersey, went down to Florida. Things didn't work out from there. Uh, came to Temple, I guess, it, you know, understandably fans had some high hopes for him. I'm sure that the coaches did too when they took him as a transfer, but he never ended up playing in a game for the Owls. Again, you can, you can look at what he put out there. Uh, I reached out to, like I said earlier, I reached out to a Temple spokesperson uh, and that person said that Rod Carey would not be commenting on this. Um, you know, and again, there are there are two sides to every story. And without, you know, having talked, you know, to both sides on the record about this, I don't want to get too into it. But again, perception can oftentimes, you know, be reality in some people's minds. And with everything the program has going on now, they're losing, they're losing badly. The perception of it all certainly, certainly does not help. Um, I, I do think that if indeed, you know, there's that picture of the strength coach in the locker there, again, I don't know who placed that there, but it's, it's, yeah, none of it perception wise is, is good, obviously. And you don't need to hear that from me to say, oh, wow, John, you're really right. So, um, it's, I, I am a little curious as to why it's all coming out now. Um, you know, the, the timing of it is, is, is interesting, but you know, Again, perception-wise, none of it's great, but I don't know how much more we can say about it other than that uh, without having talked to either party on the record about it. But again, 
perception wise, not a great deal for the program. Um, the rest of these, again, we can go back. Uh, to this isn't the John answers mailbag questions. Dante or Sam, do you have anything you want to? <laughs> I, I, I thought one of you guys was going to put up a hand if you had anything else to add. Uh, I mean, I, I would just kind of echo what you just said. Like, it's just not a good look regardless. Um, I think the way, obviously, we don't have Rod's side, so I'm not going to talk about the specifics of what Iverson Clement said as to whether they're true or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if you look across the board in football and in sports in general, uh, if your program is healthy, this stuff, you don't hear yeah. about it. Whether it happens or not, I think, you know, coaches do some crazy stuff across the country. Uh, I have people who work for other programs. They have told me some things uh, that coaches do with players. So like coaches doing weird stuff, that doesn't surprise me. Um, but if you don't have, uh, you know, if you have a healthy program, if you run a tight ship, this stuff, you know, you don't have players tweeting off like this. Yep. Um, and, and I think that's really the, the base line. issue here, yeah. right? It is less about the specifics of what Iverson Clement is talking about and the fact that if you run a tight ship, this stuff doesn't leak and you don't have a bunch of other players that used to play for you piling on, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of, you know, whether those guys were scholarship guys or walk on guys, it's just not a good look. It's yeah, well, I mean, this is kind of the last thing this program needs at this at this point in time. Yeah, especially with you know, just it doesn't look good from an nothing has looked good from an optic standpoint this season, right? But it, I mean, especially when you have players who have left the program, like Dante said, piling on. Um, even you you had I'm not going to mention what was said, but you had if you I mean, this is public consumption, right? You have players who are currently on the team liking this tweet and and retweeting it. So the, there's definitely. Some contentions there. I mean, you know, before the season even started, um, you know, I did background and, and talked to some players in the locker room and that sort of stuff and kind of got the – but it just seems like things have, have progressively gotten worse. And, and this is – might be the cherry on top. You, It's hard to say. We don't have all the facts. We don't know all the sides. But what's presented at face value is not a good look for the program. Yeah. Yeah. In the silo, if this was by itself, if this was one player uh, getting pissed off that he's in the portal six weeks later, that is not newsworthy. Um, some of the accusations are obviously newsworthy. And yeah, like like Sam said, current players jumping on the pile and feeling the need to tweet. Like, if you know, you know, and like he's not lying and people retweet this, that is newsworthy. Yeah. So anyway, like I said, we, we did reach out to, to ask if Rod Carey did want to comment on it. Um, he is not going to, at least at this time, as we're recording the podcast now on Wednesday afternoon. So anyway, uh, moving along, there are a few more basketball mailbag questions here. I'll double check the football board to see if anything else uh, landed there in, in the way of mailbag questions. But we'll get to some basketball questions here. We have several to get to. First one comes from the screen name Berkshire Al. It seems like Jake Forrester is playing a lot better this year, but it looks like the team plays better when he is on the bench. Any thoughts as to why? Uh I may have some thoughts on this. They're probably similar to what you guys are thinking. Kyle, Dante, I mean, it's, is it just, uh, yeah, obviously in the opener, they played a smaller team with a smaller lineup, um, played a much bigger team against USC, but we're two games in. What are your thoughts on this one? Sample size, small. Um, yeah, I guess I think there are two drastically different teams. I think just if you view things on a play-by-play basis, I think like the guys, like our uh, listener Suggests I think Jake Forster is improved over last year, especially defensively. But in the end of the day, he's minus 10 
in two games so far. They've been outscored by 10 points in the when he's on the court. So I think it's a situation where, look, it's a guard-dominant guard dominant program, and once you get down as much as you got down against USC, you're not running your offense conventionally and giving them a lot of post moves. I mean, you saw them shoot up a lot of threes and a lot of them hit. So I think it's just the result of playing from behind against a big-time opponent feeling the need for him to be off the floor a little bit. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I understand basketball X's and those enough to really be like, well, I mean, they're collapsing more here and we can leave that to Boston Sam's manic drawings. But until then, like, I just think it's a situation where like over the course of a 30 game season, it's going to keep itself out. Yeah. And I'll have an opportunity again to, you know, Make a, they got an opportunity to play three games in four days. You're gonna get. Yeah. You're gonna have a lot more answers than you have questions in. Yeah. Five days from now. Yeah. Um, next question from the screen. real quick. Can I talk okay. about how much I love early season basketball tournaments? The fact that like we didn't get one of these last year is yeah. terrible. I mean, COVID was obviously a horrible thing, but like that mm-hmm. was one of the side effects of it. You get three Temple basketball games in 96 hours yeah. by the time you listen to this this scoop. So like we'll have a lot to talk about next week. Yeah, what a couple of years ago they were playing. They they it was Thanksgiving morning basketball against Maryland, right? And I they feel like they did won. that like two or three years in a row. But yeah, that year, and then Maryland was number eight in the nation, and they almost beat them. Yes. Or in 2017, they beat Auburn, like A and M, like they beat like three like big time teams. West Virginia, uh, West Virginia, maybe it was West Virginia and Auburn. Yeah. They were like, oh, you're like, crap, maybe this is it, and then they end up being like a 16 and 16 team. Yeah. But like, hope springs eternal with these early uh, basketball tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, next question here uh, comes from the screen in LI89. Is redshirting dead in the age of the portal if a player is productive but perhaps still ends up behind more experienced players who have paid their dues? Uh, isn't there just a risk if they enter the portal? If they do, do they still keep eligibility from the redshirt season? Was this one from the basketball board? Um, yeah, this is, this is for basketball. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, like, I don't know. Initial answer here is redshirting dead in the age of the portal. I don't think so. And I don't know if he's referring to if he, if he's trying to lead us in the direction of talking about um Heiser Miller. I'm not completely sure. Um, but you know, we can talk about that uh from from that angle because you know it's two games in. Heiser Miller has not played. I understand why people are very excited to watch him play, but Ty Strickland has been better. You can't say that Aaron is averse to playing freshman because Zach Hicks is obviously playing, but could there be a scenario where Aaron McKee says to, says to high listen, Ty's playing really well. We're going to let him ride this out. Maybe it isn't our best interest to, to red shirt you. And if Ty, you know, he's going to be graduating. If he ends up using his extra year of eligibility somewhere else, boom, you come in as a second year freshman, that much more prepared could totally see that happening. Have we talked to Isaiah Miller about this? No, I'm sure he wants to be playing. He's a competitive guy, but no, I mean, programs are still, Redshirting guys, Villanova's done it. Other programs have done it. Sam, you want to chime in here? Yeah, Clemson. Clemson literally just announced that um, one of their guards. I mean, they they put out an availability report for each game, and in parentheses next to his name, it said redshirt. So, the, I mean, obviously things can change, and God forbid something happens to Temple. You know, Hasir Miller might come, but like, yeah, Clemson is is redshirting some some guy who could who could probably play if they wanted to, but they have enough combo guards as is. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think it's it's a dead. I mean, I think it's you're more likely to see it like, you know, obviously it's, it's more likely to come back this season, but probably once scholarship numbers get figured out, it'll be more reoccurrent in, in the future. Yeah, I completely agree with that part. I, I think just from a Temple Fair perspective, you're probably less likely to see it just because 
if Aaron McKee really wants to play like a 10 man rotation every November and then whittle that down as the year goes on, like we could, we could see Heiser Miller play 35 minutes this weekend. Like you have no yeah, idea. Yeah, like, you like just with, don't know. Yeah. There's been so many times when like players don't play and all of a sudden they get their start. Like God, to, to go really far back, like 2017 or 2007, 2008, Craig Williams doesn't play at all. And all of a sudden they burn his red shirt and he's starting one day. Like there's always kind of the ability for like it, Basketball, it's a long season. It's all 30 games doesn't feel like that much because you compare it to the NBA and stuff like that, but it's a long season for college players and there's always opportunities. I think if you do they have a similar rule with football where it's four games? Like I I don't think that's the case, but I don't think I was thinking about that. I think it's about that too. I don't more percentage, right? Isn't it that was that was the old medical the old medical redshirt thing used to be you could only play up to 30% of a season and it had to be in the first half of a season. So like if you're playing 30 games, you play up to like nine games, whatever it was. I don't think that's the case anymore. That's, that's a great question. Odd, because wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that it would be something if you're going to do that for football, that it would ha- have a similar effect in basketball? Yeah. Cause I normally, normally, normally NCAA, normally NCAA regulations are like focused on those two. So like, that's interesting. Um, Let's find out. Apparently they were uh, like loosening up the red shirt rule. Apparently they were considering between six and eight games, but I don't think there's been an official ruling. Next question here from the basketball message board comes from this, the screen name B Devin Four. his question is, excuse my French, but this team seems to have some real MFers physical with a nasty streak. The free throws were a bummer, but the intensity they played with in the second half was inspiring. How hard will it be for coach McKee to get the same emotional investment out of them game to game? Is it too early to start? debating the Strickland and Williams minutes. Two good questions here. Let's start with the, the first one. Um, how hard will it be for him to get the same emotional investment out of the, t- the team uh, game to game? I know we've been saying this throughout the podcast. It's a small sample size, but I, I do like the question. I want to point to something that Kyle said earlier. Again, if we, if we talk about this, people are going to say, oh, you're looking at this team through rose-colored glasses. But I, I was like Kyle. I was struck by how uh, composed and how forthright and really how talkative uh, Caleb Battle was, Nick Jordan. This team just does seem to have a lot of good chemistry to it. Now, again, they could have great chemistry, and if they're not winning, nobody's going to care. But um, they do seem to have benefited, you know, not shockingly, from just having more time with each other. I don't think that effort is going to be a problem with this group. I really think that sure. Aaron would like to have a couple more shot makers on this roster. They're still going to look to tweak things, but I I do think that Aaron McKee has things headed in the right direction in terms of the makeup of this this roster, not just the size, the versatility, the length, but um, I don't think that getting the same emotional investment out of them game to game is, is going to be an issue. Um, Kyle, Dante, Sam, I'll throw this over to you. Any thoughts on that one? Uh, no, I agree. I mean, I think I think that kind of is twofold. I think a lot of that's mentality, obviously, and I think a lot of that's just depth. They have guys like, hey, it, they have enough guys that they are comfortable playing to the point that if somebody's not giving an effort or if somebody's kind of quitting or if somebody's coming with the motions, then there's somebody off the bench that's willing to replace them, and that's a luxury they haven't had in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I don't think – look, I don't think this team's all of a sudden going to go to the Elite Eight in the Final Four right. and you're going to be hoisting Aaron McKee on your shoulders as people walk down Broad Street. But, like, I think this team is a significantly better team than it has been the years past, and I think that's one of the reasons why is they just look the part more. 
there's not these like mental as many mental gaps. There's definitely hustle gaps where like, oh, you were supposed to be in one place and you went the other, but you don't sure. see them as defeated as as they would have been. Last year's team or two years team doesn't make that comeback in the second half. No. And this year's team was the better team for the 30 of the 40 minutes against the top 25 team. Why don't uh, Sam, you, again, you, you said you saw the second half of the game, um, you know, and again, like congratulations to JP Mormon for hitting that amazing, you know, three quarters court shot, but you saw, you know, a team, you, you covered them for, for a few years, Sam, and you saw a team with a lot more athleticism. Did, did you, feel like you're watching a little bit of a different team when you saw them in terms of, you know, the way they rebounded the ball, the way they defended again, we're not trying to bright side this too much. They lost the game, but you know, when you saw what you saw in the second half, would you agree with Kyle's assessment there that last year's team, that the season before that doesn't make that comeback? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And it's not because I think the team is like, like I think sometimes you can bold face that question. Well, does that team quit? I don't, I don't think that team ever quit. It just, you know, I felt like, sometimes that those leads would just become too insurmountable and, and they couldn't shoot them their way out of it because they mm-hmm. didn't have anybody that consistently knocked down shots. And like you said, good for JP Mormon, but I don't think they have the athletic. I don't think they have the athleticism and I don't think they had the, you know, the, the defensive awareness that this team certainly has. Um, granted, I, I think JP Mormon and, and Dre Perry were fine role players. You know, they did their time here and they, and they have their purpose, but they were, they were, I always viewed them as being very interchangeable that they mm-hmm. did a lot of things similar. Um, but they also like, besides, I remember like my sophomore year of college, like JP Mormon got ejected for like um, some pretty hard foul and Penny Hardaway, like complimented on some, that's not the basket. I don't think we really saw that. Version. I forgot about that. Yeah, I did too. I really think we saw that from him. He just—it's not they aren't physical basketball players, but it wasn't really the brand that basketball that that Aaron McKean wants to play. So I think I think you know there's just that more athleticism, and I and I think this is a team that can just knock down shots quickly, as it opposed to where you know last season you you'd have to have Damian Dunn drive to the hoop, you know maybe ten times to to get and have him make three throws to get there because it's. Dre Perry and, and J.P. Mormon for, you know, like I said, I think that they were decent basketball players here, but they're not guys who are going to be knocking down threes to get you back into a game. And I think the only instance that really happened is with. <laughs> Unless it's 55 feet away. That's true. <laughs> then J.P. Mormon is the guy uh, you want. <laughs> I think the only instance you really saw that last year where they were able to shoot their game way back into a game is when they, in the conference, uh, in the, you know, in, in the conference tournament, when Brendan Barry hit those three threes in like less than a minute. Yeah. That, that, and that's not something that the, the team was able to do. I think this team is starting to take the shape of identity that Aaron wants. And that's the, the athleticism they're able to shoot and they're able to play like hard nosed defense. And the, I mean, those three things help teams get back in the games. Right. So that that's kind of where I, I stand on it. And I, I don't, I don't want it, this coming off is so like that we're trashing JP Mormon or Dre Perry. I think that they were solid college basketball players, but they're, I don't think they were built for the system that Aaron McKean wants to run. Yeah. Uh, Dre was back in town this past weekend, Albany playing LaSalle. And then, of course, J.P. Mormon having his moment, number one play on Center. Very cool to see. Um, second question here, is it too early to start debating the Strickland and Williams minutes? I don't know. That's a good question, too, because now, again, we, we talked about this earlier. How much was Jeremiah Williams' foot bothering him? We know that, you know, he's, he's still developing as a player. I, I really liked what I saw from him last season uh, in terms of his footwork and going to the rim, drawing contact. Um, obviously, the, you know, 
he had his his share of missed free throws. The whole team did, and of course that cost them. Uh, I don't know how much his foot was really bothering him in that game, but um, yeah, it is it is an interesting conversation to have. I don't think it's too early because you know we'll, we'll see how he is physically, but you know. Good for good for Ty Strickland at this point. You know, it looks like his, you know, his, uh, check out if you want to check out Sam Cohn's story in the Inquirer, did just did a, a really good piece on Ty. He had the shoulder surgery. He's healthier. He's more confident. Um, I don't know. I mean, could I see a situation where if Ty continues to play really well and he's he can hit maybe like that step back jumper, that mid range jumper, draw some, you know you know, draw somebody, drive into the paint, drive and dish. If he can do that, if he keeps doing that, and if Jeremiah isn't giving you as much offensively, or if his foot becomes a nagging thing, would I be totally shocked if, if Aaron says, Hey, I need you to come off the bench for us and be a defensive stopper. Sure. Maybe that could happen. And I don't think that, that Jeremiah Williams would be the, the type of guy that would fight it. Um, yeah, not in a conversation I thought we'd be having at this point of the season, but is it too early to debate it? I guess not. Well, we'd have to see how it develops, but uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about this one? Sam, we'll go with you. I mean, I think you can preface that. Is, I think we mentioned that Damian Dunn and Jeremiah Williams both haven't played like the expectations would be. So maybe Ty Strickland can see minutes for each of them. And I, I think it's too early to, to also have that conversation. But at the same time, like if Ty – if say that, you know, Temple wants to be cautious with Jeremiah, they don't play him this weekend. He, he sits out and, you know, rest that foot because at the end of the day, like you, you want him for conference play. Right. So, and, and Ty plays out of his mind this weekend, obviously then you can have that conversation, but, I, but I think Ty still needs to, to win a little bit back of, of playing consistently because it's, you know, it's only been two games. Right. Yeah. Um, and last year he kind of just disappeared at times. Maybe that confidence wasn't there, but, but he, he looks like a different player, but I, I think, I think we might be getting too caught up in, in sample, small sample sizes right now. Um, and, and I think we just kind of have to let it play out. But I mean, I don't think Aaron's going to be afraid that, to play Ty Strickland if he continues to play well. Mm -hmm. uh, next question here comes from the screen name Moose Jake, JAC008. When do you think Temple will have a set starting five and bench rotation this year? Lots of young players to evaluate to see where they might fit in the rotation. Again, yeah, Interesting question, probably a little too early, but yeah, I mean, pleasant problem to have. I guess it depends on um, how Aaron views things. And I think he's kind of talked about this. You know, I think it depends on how he wants to defend teams. You know, um, he could play as many as 10 guys in the game if he wants to keep running different lineups out there. You know, hey, Jaleel, get out there for three minutes and just make this guy's life miserable. I, I think you know, people are intrigued about what Jaleel White can do, but he's his offense is still raw. And again, we keep saying this, it's a small sample size, but I, I think it just depends on how who they play, how they want to defend teams. When will we have a set starting rotation and, and uh, a bench rotation? I, it's, it might sound like the easy answer, but I don't know, conference play. Maybe by the time they get into the first few weeks of conference play, maybe he tightens it up to eight guys. But I don't know. At the same time, if Jaleel's giving you something and Nick Jordan's giving you something and Emmanuel Akpomo can be physical, maybe that, that rotation is 10 guys. I don't think it's anything where any of these guys would look like completely overmatched, but I don't know. Kyle, what do you think? Just to kind of float and play a little bit of devil's advocate here is I was just kind of thinking this out. My concerns with this team have been the scoring on the second unit. 
Like yeah. if it's like somebody in that second unit needs to score, if Jeremiah Williams is going to miss time, which we don't know, like he could be playing tomorrow or today by the time this podcast goes out, or he could be missing some time. If he's going to miss time, I wonder if it's almost better to keep Ty on that second unit because he can shoot and he's shown the ability to score so far at this point. And maybe you slide somebody like Zach Higgs into the starting lineup. Like they've been doing a three guard setup because they have three guards that are starting mm-hmm. worthy. But if it's going to be a longer term thing or even a couple of games stretch, do you start Hicks in that lineup? You keep uh, you keep Ty coming in that second unit and that frees up the opportunity for somebody like a Quincy Adam McCoya instead of a high tier Miller to kind of fill those minutes and kind of generate offense on that second unit. I think there's so many possibilities still that for us to stay here and be like, oh, well, by December 50, by the time they play Nova, they're all of a sudden going to be knowing this. I don't think, I don't, I think there's just so many pieces. There's so much flexibility. That it's going to be a, a very fluid thing. Um, next question. Uh, last question uh, from the mailbag here. The, the screen name is Park Al. Two games is a small sample size, as we've been saying, but it looks like it's going to be hard to keep Hicks off the court this year if he continues to play well and increases playing time. What player, starter, or significant contributor loses, and good segue here, loses PT at Hicks's expense? Dante, basketball Dante. We'll, we'll go to you here. What do you think? Uh, it's got to be somebody at the three or the four, right? Like you're looking at, you know, if that's Jeremiah Williams or if that is – uh, Nick Jordan or one of those guys, right? It's got to be one of them. You know, Zach Hicks is six eight six nine. You're not going to put him in as a two guard. So uh, it's got to be one of those positions. If they want to go like really small, like maybe you go with him as like a small ball center and you just try and barrage teams from the outside. It'd be crazy, but it'd be fun. Like I'm a, for basketball, look, I'm a chaos guy for basketball. Like I want to see chaos for basketball. So like, that's where my mind like immediately went with that. But like, those would be the two off the top of my head. And I honestly, like, again, I don't cover the basketball team as closely as I cover the football team, but like they need shooting still. And like, if Zach Hicks is going to come out there and he's going to, you know, knock down three, four threes a game, like, yeah, I think you got to give him more playing time. Like if he's going to be that dude for you, like, I think they need that. They really do as as good as Khalif can be. Like he's very much a streaky scorer. I think like maybe he'll be more consistent this year, but like, I don't know. I think he's a bit of a streaky scorer. So get Zach Hicks in there a little bit. Sam picked up on it. I'm not going to call it out. Um, I will say, I, I I think it would have to be somebody like Jeremiah Williams. I mean, I, I, I kind of get what Dante is saying, where you could maybe take minutes from the four, where that's Sage. But I think somebody posted on our boards, like Sage has been underwhelming so far and blah, blah. And I think he has scoring-wise, but I think he just does so many things glue-wise that like that help out the rest of the team that I think he probably deserves the amount of minutes that he's playing, especially when they're going up against some bigger teams as he is a bigger guy. So I would think that's just to answer this question. If it's um, like, if, if all of a sudden there's minutes to be had at the two, maybe you go to a more conventional thing where you're not playing Damian Dunn on the wing and you play Zach Hicks on the wing and you go from there. I, I think the guy who might stand to lose some minutes in situations like that, not necessarily like a player for player thing, but I think if, if they bring him in and they are going a little bit more small ball and they're not going to the side, I think it takes away minutes from Jake Forrester. I think it already has, you know, it's not like, and when I say take away minutes from Jake Forrester, I don't mean that Aaron's going to say, Hey Zach, go in there and uh, play with your back to the basket. He's not, he's not built to do that. You know, he may never be built to do that, but it, it could be a sense where, where Aaron says, you know, Jake just picked up two fouls and we've gone on a six minute scoring drought. Zach, get in there and just go shoot the crap out of the ball. That's taking minutes away from from Jake Forrester. I agree with you when it comes to Sage. I don't know that they're looking for Sage to score a ton. It's just more like defend, rebound, keep possessions alive, and 
Um, and I think he's done a little bit of that so far. I, I think Sage truly does not care about his stats and you guys need a, uh, your, your team needs a guy like that, but that's what I think of off the top of my head. I think that, that Jake Forrester could lose some minutes again, not from a straight substitution perspective, but just the style, uh, the style that you play. The important thing I think to kind of call out here is uh, obviously it's, it's easy to get caught up in the shooting aspect because that's his calling card. And that's, that sticks out in the box score. But I think Aaron McKee has said, he's like shooting wise, he's there actually like existing in the offense and running the offense. He still has a lot, lot to grow. Right. I mean, he's, he's a guy that they were considering redshirting two months ago. And now all of a sudden, like he's played well enough the first few games that we're talking about, well, how, how do you get him to 30 minutes a game? And this might still just be like a gradual growth. Sam Newman, any, any closing thoughts, impressions, on your, your triumphant return to the to the alscoop.com podcast. Any any wisdom you can impart after being and, away and from honestly, for a while? Honestly, being back on the scoop felt like I never left. Just back like you forgot although, something. Although Sam Cohn couldn't get himself out of, you know, his, his dire nerve. My nerve. face in Zoom. You would have thought I, he would have at least, like, just blown his nose a couple of times and said, hey, I'm going to suck it up and hop on Zoom here. So or he did at least just, like – showing you the respect and courtesy as one of your dear friends to just like pop on for a couple minutes and say, Hey, like, Hey, I just want to see your face, see how you were. Uh, but no, he didn't, he couldn't. And uh, sometimes actions speak louder than words. So we used to rag on Graham on the last season and the season before that. I guess yeah. it's, it's rag on Sam at the it's end back of us. Do we rag on as many people this one? I feel like we're a nicer podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> we, Instead of a ragging on, instead of, you know, hating each other, like, like contained raging, we're just, we, we rag on, you know, people that will never show up on this podcast and never defend themselves. So. Oh yeah. I mean, it is Al Scoop. There's everybody. Al Scoop versus everybody. Tap the sign. <laughs> that's, that's what you should have in your apartment right now. You should have an Al Scoop versus everybody sign. <laughs> there you walk out, you tap it, you tap it. Like it's the, the Notre Dame play like a champion today. Sign. <laughs> Like you haven't won a championship in over 40 years today. Jesus. That's <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's become a Notre Dame hate podcast. <laughs> I got a lot of, a lot of problems with the golden Tumbers. <laughs> well, uh, Sam Cohen, we missed you today. Again, wish you could have uh, hopped on zoom to, to pay tribute to your buddy, Carolina Sam here, but I guess it just wasn't the best. You know what the best ability in the world is availability, availability. And you weren't available today, Sam. Imagine him just like getting to the tail end and listening to this. And he's just thinking like, they're, they're fine at the end. I don't need to. And then he just starts hearing this and he just gets more hurt and more hurt and just a single tear. So oh, we've had, um, we've had like a, our handful of editors in our day. Like we had Jamie, we had Graham, we have Sam. Dalton. I think Sam's the only one. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Um, yeah. Dalton. Dalton. Why the hell? Why, why did I say? Oh, I'm so sorry, Dalton. I hope you're, I hope you're well. <laughs> in Rhode Island. Um, I think Sam is the first one that like, as he's editing it listens to every single minute of it. I think a lot of them were just like, which is fair. I think a lot of them were just like, I got to turn this around. This is where he told me that is for. So Sam will hundred percent hear this and he will take a little offense to it. And we just know that we want him to get better. We also want him to do better. It's just, <laughs> just constructive criticism, right? Kyle? Yeah, exactly. Say it out of love. It, it's not out of you, hate. You welcome, welcome all criticism. Welcome all opportunities to improve yourself. This is one. Dante, anything to add at the end? Fluids, cough drops. I am in. I am in full support of Sam. I understand being sick. I'll I'll, uh, I'll uh, throw him the bone here. I feel like someone's got to. Someone's got to be pot. somewhere. Make, make yeah, Kyle like someone's got to. Someone's got to be nice to him here. He's having a rough time. I mean, have you ever been sick before? He's dead. Life? He's actually. Yeah, dead. yeah. You know. You know what happens when uh, when I'm sick? I go to work. I still do it. <laughs> I show up. <laughs> 
especially now the whole office you walk, you walk 10 miles one way to work and bare feet right it is nuts like in this post-covid world or current covid world to think about like oh yeah um if i was in like the office right now like i would still like i i'm sick but, like i would have shown up to work like that was just like a common thing like i would just chug cough syrup and gone to work all day but like, oh, you probably, got, probably, probably got people sick yeah, I covered a Temple basketball game where I had chugged like half a bottle of Dayquil like two years ago, like much before pre-pandemic. So I, I was not a COVID thing. It was like uh, my sophomore year, I believe. And I just like really a grind band, huh? Yeah, it's it's rough out here, dude. It, you I, left me here like two worked, years ago and I'm still here. When I worked at the Temple News, somebody who I, I don't want to put him on blast was somebody that also worked at the Temple News once showed up to a basketball game and just had an entire roll of toilet paper with them. Like they just brought like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm just going to blow my nose and like, just to be prepared because I'm sick. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> get out of here. Ew. Yeah. But you know what? He showed up. He soldiered through. Anyway, uh, basketball, football, Thanksgiving. Enjoy it all. Hey, are we having a, do we have a podcast next week? Wednesday before Thanksgiving? Yeah. It depends yeah. on how the next couple days go. <laughs> <laughs> If there is something worthy of having a podcast for, I say yes. we have it. We would have a podcast. Yeah. It might come out earlier in the week than usual. You never know. If yeah. it's still just like, hey, we're going through these motions, then like we'll probably talk to you in two weeks. Yeah. I won't be on that podcast though. I'm about to bring up my software. So yep. I'm going to disappear for a little bit. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks to uh, Sam Newman for joining us. Caroline, Sam, good to see you, buddy. We'll talk to you guys soon. See you.